Oh, yeah, you can hear me. <laughs> um, welcome back. Um, I'm honored that you were willing to come knowing that I was the one teaching this morning. <laughs> um, so this is chapter three, um, where we are gathering to read and study through the uh, book, Discovering Our Spiritual Identity. And chapter three is Discovering Our Christian Memory. So um, this builds to some extent on um, the first chapter, which is how do we see God? The second chapter, how does God see us? And this is now how do we remember our experiences of God? How do we connect with God in the present? So, um, I'm going to be focusing on rocks of remembrance, and that's part of why you have rocks in the center of your tables. Okay, it does not want to move forward. Okay, so while he f plays with that, um, Pastor Dave, a couple weeks ago, um, had uh, preached <laughs> using uh, the quote, um, much of what the Bible demands can be comprised in one word, remember. Um, if you looked at this week's chapter, you see that that's quote at the beginning of the chapter. Why would our focus be on remembering? What is it that we are to be remembering? Um, we are to be remembering that we serve a God of history. Our scriptures, our Bible, shows us where God entered into historical events. This is a God who has been present, alive, and active throughout history. That's not true of most other faiths. Are we working now? We're yeah, third now. right, but it's not showing up there. <laughs> so, um, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> when, when we talk about at, at Christmas time, and we make a big deal out of Emmanuel, God with us. That is not just about Christmas time and the baby coming. That is God with us at all times. And so a big part of what we're gonna be looking at today is, <laughs> not, <the screen. laughs> not on the screen, um, is, is what, in what ways are we aware that God is with us and present in our lives, in our history? So, yay, now let's see. Another one? Oh, so I need to go to each one separately yeah, to make I'll it. Sit here and do it if it's Eric. <laughs> <laughs> or we can just say, see, that's why I printed this. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm 
Right. Technology is our friend until it's not. Um, all right. So what is the purpose of remembering? The purpose of remembering is to build our faith, to nurture our trust in God, to be a, a platform to introduce other people to God. This is the God that I worship and, and I would like you to know the character of this God. Remembering gives us comfort and encouragement, particularly in times of struggle. And as we looked at in chapter one, remembering helps us to remember who God is. And as we looked in chapter two, remembering reminds us who I am in relationship to God. And so, in a lot of ways, we're continuing the lessons of chapter one and two, but focusing in on how we do that through remembering. So now you guys get a break, because I'm gonna be telling stories for a while. Okay, <laughs> no we'll, urgency. We'll <laughs> okay, so in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter three and four, tells a story that, that we don't hear as often as we do about the Red Sea and leaving captivity with Moses. Ooh, we're getting there. Um, this, is, this is a story of Joshua leading the people across the Jordan River into um, preparing to take Jericho and the uh, Promised Land. Can go to the next one. Next one. <laughs> yes, that's where we are, but that's not what's up there. Go ahead. This is really making it miserable for you. That's fine. That's fine. All right. So. Thinking, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So I want to I want to recount that story for you. I want for us to have a sense of the practice of remembering. And so the people of Israel had been wandering around in the desert for a long time, to the point that Moses was old and died. And Joshua is now in charge. The people are not sure whether or not he is going to be as strong and a secure leader as their Moses had been. And God speaks to Joshua and says, bring the people to the Jordan. And so Joshua brings the nation and they come to the Jordan River, and he, God instructs him to go through each camp. Now we're talking about thousands of people who are all camped in their tribes, gathered together, and he goes among them, and he says, I have instructions from God, and the instructions are that you are to sanctify yourself, get right, with God, and the reason I want you to do that, the reason God has instructed us to do that, is because tomorrow, t 
tomorrow. God is going to take us to the promised land, that place that he brought us out of Egypt to enter into, it's time. And he's going to show us how great and powerful he is, that he is a living God, powerful enough to take this land, to shake out those people who are living there. The Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, all those ites, God will push them out before us. And all we have to do is follow the priests who are going to carry the ark because we don't know where we're going, but God does. And so if we follow the ark of the covenant, he will take us to where he wants us to be. And so the people did that. They sanctified themselves, they prepared, the priests took up the Ark of the Covenant and they began to walk. And thousands of people gathered and followed them. And as the priests got to the Jordan, they stopped. And Joshua said to them, watch, see how great our God is. And as the priests stepped into the water, the water that was in flood stage stopped flowing upriver and kept flowing downriver to the Dead Sea. And so once again, there was dry land. And the people followed the priests who stopped mid-river and across they went. Thousands of people. We're told that it was 40,000 soldiers. So if it's 40,000 soldiers, we're talking about their families, their parents, their children, their livestock. All of these people are walking across the Jordan River on dry ground. And Joshua said, I want one person from each tribe to come back into the river and I want you to go to where the priests stand and I want you to pick up a rock from the river and I want you to put this on your shoulder and I want you to carry this out of the riverbed to your camps where we will camp at Gilgal And so each one picked up a rock and carried it out for all the people to see. And they brought it out and they created a pile of 12 stones as a memorial. And Joshua took the stones within the river and he built the same pile of 12 stones where the priests had stood. And as the priests left the river bed that has been dry, the waters began to flow again and returned to flood stage. And Joshua said to the people, I want you to remember when your children look at this pile of stones and say, what is that for? Why do we have this pile? that you can tell them, you will know 
that you have a living God, remember, not just for you, but for all the peoples of the world, everyone will know that you serve a God that is powerful, mighty and powerful, powerful enough to overcome the power of nature. And you can live in awe of that God forever. And it's from that point that the people of Jericho could see what had happened. When we go on to the story of Jericho that we learn from children about them marching around the city and the people being frightened, it wasn't just the people walking around. They had already seen that that mighty God had allowed thousands of people to walk across a barrier that should have protected them. We have that as our heritage. That is part of our history as ones who serve a living God. So that is our Old Testament remembering. Amen. (laughs) So, in our chapter, we're invited to say, okay, that's Old Testament. That's wonderful testimony. But what do the Gospels tell us? What what does Jesus tell us about who God is? And we've already talked and touched about on that in terms of, um, we can move to the next slide if we could. (laughs) So the end of uh, the book of John, John says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which were not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and through believing, you may have life in his name. So the whole purpose of the Gospels is to say, let us show you who Jesus is. And in coming to believe the power, once again, strength, power, and might of who Jesus is, you would come to believe and that will shape your life. That will make a difference. And so the, the author recommends that one of the spiritual disciplines that we can do is to say, here we are, read the Gospels on a regular basis. Don't let them become stale. Don't let it become, oh yeah, I know, you know, the loaves and fishes, there it goes, you know. Um, Yeah, he talked to the woman at the well, that's nice. Um, Because we know the stories, but how much are we taking time to really reflect on them and remember this is the God I am in relationship to. This is the God who came to be present in Jesus and is present to me today. And so he recommends that we read the Gospels regularly. So here's our chance for our first discussion. My question for you is, which account in Jesus' life, so his life, his death, his resurrection, what is it in Jesus' story that relates to you? So if someone comes to you and says, Tell me about Jesus. 
We now live in a culture that is officially considered post-Christian. The majority of people around us have not gone to church. Okay, so whatever they know about Jesus is probably not biblically based. So, if someone asks you, tell me about Jesus, what would you choose to tell them? So, I would like for you to take about 10 minutes to share that around your table. What is it in the Gospels that stands out to you and why?
Okay, just a moment more to kind of have a chance for everybody to finish sharing. Would anybody like to share one of the stories or what it meant for them that, that we can share with the group as a whole? The resurrection, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, Bertie. Hang on, I'm gonna, I'll do the microphone. Okay. Since I'm the official techie here, <laughs> can't screw this one. Right now, but we haven't seen for sure. <laughs> I turned it on. <laughs> we pretty much agreed with that, but um, one thing that uh, Jim just said, and, I, and if, if I get this wrong, you tell me. You can't get it wrong. Well, okay. <laughs> yes, I could. <laughs> Um, he pointed out the fact that um, the story of Jesus praying uh, in the garden before, you know, before he was about to die and how he prayed for, and, and well, he also mentioned that this is only in uh, John's version because it's a little bit different than the other four or the other three, that um, he prayed for the disciples. You know, you got to take care of them because I'm, I'm gone. I'm going to be gone. And he also prayed for future generations and what would, you know, what, what would happen in, in that. And so he's praying for them. And so he said that's, to me, a perfect example of Jesus' love for not only those that he was around for his 33 years, but for those coming in the future. That was a perfect example of that. So I think that's really good. Us and our children and our grandchildren. Right. Yeah, I think it's in Ephesians that it says he intercedes for us. Yeah. I suggested that it was the cross because it was upon the cross that he died for us. And therefore we can have our sins forgiven. It's beautiful that he did arise from the dead, but the fact that he died upon the cross for us is central. Mm -hmm. I picked the story of Cana. Um, for one reason, first of all, I think it depends on who you're talking to and the situation you're in um, as to what story comes first. But the story of Cana to me is a story of fullness of life and changing water into wine so that a party can continue on and life can, can be joyful uh, and that that comes out of um, the grace and the goodness and the bounty of God. That would, that would be a story I would turn to. Anybody They're else? They're shy today. <laughs> <laughs> We discussed several stories at our table, um, including the uh, story about Jesus letting the little children come to me 
and talking about childlike faith. And then we also uh, talked about uh, the summary of the law and uh, as evidenced in a few stories, the Good Samaritan being one of them, uh, where you're talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. Anybody on this side of the room want to talk? <laughs> okay, I was going to say Kevin these guys are the leaders up. then. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not from my table, but just my story was just his birth, that it was, he was, it was a, a miraculous birth, but in the context of having a living, God, a living God, God gave us somebody that was tangible, touch, and affect written history of people who have witnessed what he did and that he said here here's here's my son he's gonna this is how you really do it this is how you do it listen to his lessons he will take some of the mystery out of how i want you to live anyone else on this side so every answer is right you know the, the gospels are full of the beauty of how God is revealing himself to us. And, and so, you know, whether we're looking at, you know, God would come into the messiness of our lives, you know, and literally into the yucky stables, and anybody who's cleaned out a stable knows that's not a pretty place to be, um, that God is making it clear, I am going to be among you. I am going to be with you. I am going to participate in the hard parts of life. And I understand what it's like to be a child and, and what that is to, to be vulnerable. And I understand what that's like to suffer and be rejected and go to the cross. And um, one of the... Um, formative sermons I've heard in my life was years ago, Tony Campolo took a, a sermon um, and it was, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And it, you know, that has, uh, that resonates with me on a regular basis. When things are hard, it's like, yes, this is the crucifixion. This is suffering. This is brokenness. This is awful. This is despair but I am going to hold on to the resurrection. Sunday is coming. I serve a God of hope and resurrection, and no matter how dark and hopeless it is at this moment, there is something beyond. And so reading the Gospels over and over again brings us to um, the next slide. Uh, From the book, there's the quote, this is why a precise understanding of Jesus is so important for us so that we can share his vision of who God is. Coming back to the first chapter, who do we see God as? We need to keep coming back to who does Jesus reveal God to be? Because he is going to give us the best vision of who God is. And what is that Jesus is revealing about our human nature and how we need to be relating to one another as God relates to us. And how are we to relate to all of creation that Jesus shows us? He is willing to celebrate, turn water into wine. He is a joyful God. This is not the sorrowful sackcloth and ashes. So 
gospel reminds us to engage in life as Jesus did. So this moves us from the gospels to present day. What is our personal experiences with God? And, and in Acts, um, we are told that the people within the early church would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own prophets have said, for we too are his offspring. And so the big challenge for me as I was looking at this chapter is how am I, how are we, aware of living and moving and having our being in Christ moment by moment, day by day, week by week, year by year. If I look over my life, am I able to point to, and here was God, and here was God, and here was God, and God met me here, and God did this, and that I could speak like the people of Israel and say, I have a living and mighty God and I can tell you where that happened with my parents, with my children, in my life, when I was afraid, when I was happy, when was God there? When was God there this morning when I thought, gee, Mike, would you print this out for me? <laughs> Just in case technology doesn't happen. It's like, thank you, God. <laughs> Notice I asked Mike to print it out for me. Yeah. Okay. So in the chapter, um, he suggests that we um, write a spiritual autobiography. And um, if you haven't already read the chapter, I really encourage you that this chapter has a lot of the holy experiments that can be very powerful. And so um, his instructions for writing a spiritual autobiography are that, of course, you start from a place of prayer and reflection um, and this would be something that you would not do all in one sitting, particularly the older that you get, the more of a life there is to reflect on, so you'd wanna take this in chunks. Um, but the stage one would be to say, okay, when in my life, my early childhood, later elementary age, you know, teen years, young adult, mid-adult, mature adult, um, when has it been that God has been particularly close? When have I noticed that God was really there? When were those times that were the Jordan rocks from the river time that I say, yes, that was God? Stage two is the painful memories. When were the times when I was hurting? It was hard. I wasn't sure whether God was there. And maybe God showed up. Maybe I did eventually notice that God was there, or maybe I didn't. Those are the times when I was despairing. Um, <clears throat> and I would want us to remember that even if we're not aware of it at the time, that Jesus promises us in Matthew that when you've done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. And it's not just when you've given the glass of water and it's a good thing, it is when you have refused, when you have harmed, when you have hurt someone, you've done it to the least of these. So when we go back and look through those painful times, when someone tore my heart out, 
when someone hurt someone I loved, when someone physically abused me. Jesus is saying, I am there. When they did that to you, they did it to me. And so even if you weren't emotionally and spiritually connected to his presence at that moment, there is reassurance from scripture that God knows our pain and our suffering. And stage three is to look through those periods of life and say, when were the times when God met me and inspired me to reach out in a loving way to others? Often we overlook the times in which we meet God in service to other people and, and think only about when was God there for me. But to be aware of we experience intimacy with God when we are aware of how he's working through us. Some of the most holy moments in my life has been when I have been able to be present to someone else and I'm aware that I am in God's presence. God is moving and working in their lives, but I'm able to be a witness, a part of that. So those are all areas that obviously it would take time to reflect and, uh, and, and write them out. But when we talk about the rocks of remembrance, if you can go over those things, that's really an affirming thing in times of struggle. Oh yeah, this is the God who brought me through the death of my mother um, and her sickness and all that came with that. You know, and so when I faced the next illness and the next sickness, when Mike was sick and in the hospital, and, and I was really tempted to say, okay, this is it. I gotta prepare for life without my husband. And, and it was like, no, the peace that came of, no, this is the God that brought you through the suffering and the death of your mother. This is the God that brought you through the suffering and the death of your father. This is the God who is with you, whether your husband is alive or dead, it's the same God. And, and so I have those rocks of remembrance to come back to as a comfort and a reassurance. And I can share that with others, like I just did here now. Okay, so I would strongly encourage you, if you have an opportunity at some point, to try and enter into that. I'd like to take another 10 minutes or so for us to think about what is a time when you have had a significant spiritual experience, when you have said, this is my rock. So you can pick up a rock from the table if you'd like to hold that while you tell your story. But this is a time when I've experienced God's presence in my life and perhaps how that shaped you. Please feel free to share.
We've got another like three minutes, so if everybody hasn't had a chance to talk, you might want to think about sharing the time. <laughs>
Okay. So you know, early on, you know, we said, what is the part of the reason of the remembering? And, and, and there is an encouragement, a, a support, a sense of connection. And, and so it is very important for us to, to take opportunities to share with each other and say, let me tell you what God is doing, what I saw, what happened, where I noticed God. Because that is building the faith of others. It is a chance both to feel connected, oh, now I know something about what your struggles are and where God meets you, but it's also, and isn't God great that he would meet you in that way? So this isn't just a one-time Sunday school thing, you know, and um, throughout the epistles, there are reminders to speak to one another with encouragement, and, and it's not just, hey, you're doing a good job, but yes, let me tell you about how I see God working in your life. Let me tell you about how God was working in somebody else's life. They told me, Kevin told me, let me tell you what Kevin told me that God was doing. Let me tell you about what's happening in, in Pastor Dave's life. You know, so we can share in a very positive affirming, isn't God great? So in the Psalms, David over and over and over again talks about how noticing God, being in relationship to God, and um, looking for God's presence. Uh, in Psalm 27, he says, I believe I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is very important for us. Sometimes our faith gets put to, in heaven, everything will be good and I'll be with God. And there, we forget that am I seeing God here in the land of the living? Am I walking and being with God here and today? And in Psalm 139, he says, we've all heard this before, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So that whole invitation to say to God, I want to see you and I want to be seen. Help me to know myself in relationship to you. And, and one of the spiritual disciplines that is uh, Ignatius placed and, and certainly it's, it's within David saying, search me and know me, is the prayer of examine. And in, in the chapter, there's the steps that he puts forth for um, one of the holy experiments. And the prayer of examine is to, um, on a daily basis or at least a weekly basis, to take time prayerfully with God and ask God to search and know me. And so I'll just quickly put through the steps here for you. Um, prayerfully, you place yourself in the presence of God and you ask for his assistance in reviewing your day. So this is not an invitation to beat yourself up. This is an invitation to ask God to inspire your attention and direction to what's going on in your life. And so some of the questions that you ask yourself in the process is, what do I have to be thankful for? All good gifts come from God. So if it's something to be thankful for, chances are real good God had a part in that. What, when did I feel closest to God? 
Sometimes we rush through our days in such a busy way that we may have felt close to God at one moment and be so far off from that connection that we forget it by the end of the day. So coming back and remembering of, oh yeah, when I got that phone call, I just felt God's presence right there. Oh, when I was reading that scripture or I heard that song, I just felt God's presence. When did I feel furthest from God? That often tells us something too. What was going on that I was not aware of God? In my life, that usually means I was so busy and preoccupied and focused on have I done, have I done, have I done, that God is not in the picture. What strong moods have I had and experienced and what attitudes lie behind them? If we're feeling something strongly, whether it's joy or despair, whether it's anger, it's probably something that's going on in our hearts deep. And so, where is God in that? God, what does that mean? What is that about? (coughs) What do I need forgiveness for? Where's the places where I have done things I shouldn't have done or not done the things that God was inspiring me to do? And I need to ask God's forgiveness first and foremost, and perhaps, ask his strength to be able to ask forgiveness of the person that I've wronged. And certainly the courage to act differently from there on in. And then lastly, what do I need to do to ask for God's strength and guidance for the coming day? So I would encourage you to do this. I will confess that this is not something that I do every day. It is something that I find very helpful when I do do it, and you would think then I would do it daily, (laughs) but um, I have not become that disciplined. But I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to look at your spiritual autobiography because it is in those places that God can meet us in very powerful ways. So I would like to take a moment to pray before we go to worship. Lord God, we thank you that you are a living and active God present in our lives. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to be sensitive and aware of your presence, that we would make note of that. Help us to live lives that demonstrate that we are in relationship to you and that others would look to things in our lives and say, tell me about that, what is that about? and we can share our rocks of remembrance with them. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds as we enter into worship, that we can truly celebrate you in worship together. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen. Please take a rock, as I have them, if you look on my dresser at home, I have a rock that always reminds me. Bueller sells it.